Pixel Sift is proudly supported by the Murdoch University School of Arts. At the School of Arts at Murdoch University, you can learn how to make games, you can learn how to make radio or podcasts, media or video, or you can mix them all together in sort of an interdisciplinary mix of jambalaya and all of that sort of crazy stuff. Um, there's plenty of stuff to choose from, and you can pick units from all over the place. You can learn great stuff with a great university degree, but you also have heaps of fun making cool projects like this one. Sometimes this is fun. It's really fun. <laughs> it's pretty fun. It's a great time. Uh, Murdoch University School of Arts. Uh, you can search Murdoch University if you head to a web browser. Murdoch University School of Arts proudly supporting Pixel Sift. Hello and welcome to Pixel Sift. This week, I'm joined by Nick and Mitch, and my name, of course, is Gianni. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, we here at Pixel Sift are a show that explores the issues in gaming, and we also talk to members of the game development uh, industry around the world. And today, we've got a guest from one of our one of our nearest neighbours uh, from Singapore, Ian Gregory, who's joining us from Witching Hour Studios. Ian, thanks for joining us today. Hello, thanks for having me. We're really excited to talk a little bit about your game coming up a little bit later. Remember in- when we first started this? It's like, we're going to focus on Australia. Let's focus on Australia. I think and then Singapore we've gone to New Zealand so many times, and now we're in Singapore. Singapore Isn't this great? New Zealand and Singapore is good feature creep, I think. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. Def- <laughs> Singapore is, you know, it's like a, such a close country. Yeah, so I'm not completing that. <laughs> well, it's in the same time zone, at least. Exactly. Uh, we're going to be talking about some other stuff as well, aren't we, Mitch? What else are we checking out? Yes, so we'll be taking a look at the professional esports on Australian TV. Last month, an Overwatch tournament was broadcast on Channel 7, but was the audience there to watch it? And finally, with the commercial success of games such as Crash Bandicoot, Insane Trilogy, and Modern Warfare Remastered, is there now a lack of incentive for publishers to take a gamble with new IPs? Interesting points. Let's jump into it, shall we? Did you know PixelSiv is available on other platforms? You can find previous episodes on iTunes, Pocket Casts, YouTube, and on the PixelSiv website. Okay, so over the past several years, popularity of esports has grown and is raking in the dollars with... You know, with TV stations like ESPN wanting a slice of that pie. Recently, a popular online shooter, Overwatch, was broadcast on Channel 7 right here in Australia. So, were you watching, Johnny? I did catch it on an on-demand catch-up service. Yeah, of course you did. Which is, you know, part of the reason why we're kind of discussing this topic is that it, a lot of it, a lot of this, uh, you know, a lot of hype was made of it being available now to watch on Australian TV. Um, I don't know what the situation is like in Singapore, Ian, but for us, it was kind of an exciting moment to see uh, this uh, esports tournament on normal free-to-air. Uh, broadcast television not on a cable network or a sports network um, and kind of leaving the realm of uh, online streaming platforms like twitch and mixer and youtube and things like that so yeah it's very it's an interesting sort of thing but i guess we're wondering whether you know they, they have lots of statistics now where we know young people are increasingly turning off broadcast television and is this a ploy to bring those people back and and will they come back I personally had no idea that this was even on standard Australian <laughs> broadcast. I literally, until until we said, oh, we should discuss this, I was like, this was on TV. This is on Channel 7. Um, I, I didn't even know, to be fair, I didn't even know there was a tournament happening in Australia. I didn't. I watched it later on. 
more importantly, we beat Japan. We beat Japan. We did beat Which Japan. Well, congratulations. Yes. Yeah. No one, I don't think anyone expected. We were like, oh, yeah, Australia's about to get flogged. And then, whoa. <laughs> what? Yeah. So it'd be like the Winter Olympics all over again. <laughs> um, Ian, what's the situation like in, in Singapore? Do you have uh, esports uh, broadcast on, on TV uh, available for people to watch? No, not at all, actually. So one of the things, one of the, one of the mistakes that people kind of make is that they think Singapore is very much like South Korea. Sure, we've got the technology, but games have uh, a pretty negative connotation here. So I don't think we're going to see it on, uh, on on our national television anytime soon. I mean, we're a small country. We've only got like, what, five channels? So I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. But there is quite a groundswell of esports going on here, and it's popping up all over the place. In fact, I think one thing that we're doing a lot more here is actually... Uh, conventions where lots of esports are happening. That's the th- so. Oh, sorry to cut you off, but um, I noticed when yeah. I was there the last time in Singapore, there was a lot of really cool places for players to get together in one space and play games. Like your LAN cafes are like it, they're insane. Like they're really awesome. They're really bright and uh, they they're really clean and it's 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 a generally a great place to be. Yeah, that's, that's actually one of the things that uh, we do very well. Well, because, uh, well, technology is a lot, it's, it's very cheap here in Singapore. So, yeah, we've got these great land cafes that are functionally arenas. So, we have, it, the funny thing is that we have infrastructure for, like, really big things like uh, the tournaments that you see on TV back over there. But it's not quite happening yet. Uh, I think we're dealing with a lot of, um, I, I guess, what I would call uh, social, cultural things that we need to deal with before we can, we're going to see something like that in the mainstream. That was a point that we actually discussed quite a bit because yeah. there was a recent controversy over uh, during a Street Fighter V tournament. One of the players was asked mid-game to change his character's skin because it was deemed inappropriate for, for broadcast. And, and to it- that I say, has anyone seen Street Fighter V? Like, uh, there's a few revealing outfits in that. And yeah. the character he was playing was Cammy, of course, who, uh, you know, is prepared for battle. That's there's, all I'll say. there's a lot of actually, you know, in- there's, there's actually a lot of very interesting cultural things like, uh, I don't know whether you guys are aware, but in China, you're not allowed to show any kind of exposed bone. So that means you can't have skeletons in games in China. They're probably not a fan of Mortal Kombat then. Yeah. <laughs> well, exposed bone is interesting. So they, <laughs> yeah, they draw the... So what about... Um, I'm not familiar with the actual um, rules in China, but is it... It's to, do, or- it, it's to do with kind of um, anything that kind of has sort of like a, a cult or spiritualism. So anything like uh, zombies are kind of okay. And in World of Warcraft yeah. is the famous example where they have this. So the undead characters in that, you know, their elbows and knees kind of pop out of their skin. Um, and they, uh, But in the uh, Chinese uh, version that was done by NetEase, I think, uh, the company that does it for Blizzard, um, they basically turn them into full zombies and they've got skin and everything they just look like, you know. So how does that kind of thing, are there any specific rules that you can think of that affect Singapore in that manner? Uh, not mostly anything pornographic is a definite no-no. But I think that in Singapore, we're dealing with much more fundamental issues. And this whole, okay, so we're a very uh, uh, academic-driven country, right? So the whole idea of uh, kids playing games just you know, shuts a lot of things down. And it's only very recently that we're seeing this kind of like groundswell of people going, like, you know what, actually, it's quite okay, let's play games. And uh, esports is very big in Singapore. But one thing, okay, if you talk about esports, the interesting thing is that, uh, you know, we all do national service. Mm-hmm. And it was a big hoo-ha because many Singaporeans has, uh, have had the opportunity to represent Singapore in many international competitions, but it couldn't because of national service. And they had to go join the army. 
And uh, these are kind of conversations we're trying to have here, let alone putting it something on the mainstream. Are there exception for uh, other sports people um, from national service, or is it you go in it's pretty, and that's it? Uh, yeah, no, it's pretty blanketed. I think uh, only very recently, uh, our, our one of our national swimmers. Uh, managed to get a deferment of his national service to represent Singapore. And it was the right move because he actually brought home the gold in the, in the Olympics. He beat Michael Phelps. That's a pretty good claim to fame, I think. Uh, justified the deferment there. Yeah, when I was over there earlier this year, that was seemed like all anyone wanted to talk about. <laughs> and um, yeah. I think this is a really yeah. interesting um, thing because it, it, this sort of online streaming yeah, and this type of broadcast, uh, I guess it's television, but it's not really, um, is an audience that is being captured that is not going to traditional media at all. Um, you said that uh, esports are pretty popular in Singapore. Are, are people getting online and, and watching all this stuff in your, in your opinion, Ian? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I think in Singapore, the average, the average Singaporean kid Right, very commonly watches, uh, plays and replays, and Twitch is very big over here as well. Uh, I think with regards to esports, Overwatch is huge, as is uh, Dota and, and such. Uh, I think one of the biggest problems, I mean, we talk about broadcast, one of the biggest issues about games is that if you don't play the game, you don't know what's going on. Uh, and especially where games that move so quick, like Overwatch, or a game that has so many uh, obscure rules like Dota, an average person, can you imagine your mom sitting down and trying to understand all these like bright lights on the screen. I don't think that's going to happen. To be fair, though, I've tried to understand American football and I've watched the Super Bowl many times and I, I couldn't tell you what's going on there. <laughs> yeah, it's so I think barrier of, en- barrier of entry is a real issue if broadcast or if any kind of traditional media one really wants to pick up games because uh, part of it is actually explaining what's uh, going on. And I, I think that's one of the biggest issues we have as a-, a gamer community is that we have kind of isolated ourselves from the general public so until the accessibility is, is addressed, even if we put it on broadcast or on national television, uh, a lot of people are going to be very flabbergasted about what the hell is going on. Do um, Are young people in Singapore moving away from, from broadcast TV as well? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's actually it's interesting because uh, technology moves so fast in Singapore. A lot of our broadcast, uh, our national channels, has switched to an on-demand style system. So that means any kind of local production, right? You can watch it anytime uh, already. So we, we've embraced that whole direction where, you know, HBO, NBC, all the major channels in, uh, in America are going towards... Correct me if yeah. I'm wrong, but as I understand, there is no such thing as free-to-air TV in Singapore, is there? You, you do need to pay for your, for your TV service in some, in some manner, don't you? Yeah, but it's, it's, a, it's a pittance for the, uh, the, the, the national channels. Uh, it's cable okay. that you really got to pay for. Right. Uh, plus, uh, if, plus this, here's, here's the thing, right? So you pay for, there's no free, free, uh, free broadcast channels. But everything that they show is free on the internet. Oh, okay. So it's one of those things where not, most people don't turn on the televisions. They just stream it from their phones and from their computers and they're, and they're going to be watching exactly the same thing you could watch when you turn the tv on well look i think that's a, a pretty good uh, example of you know the way that the audience has moved uh from a traditional broadcast model onto a new platform which people who were watching esports had already done um, yeah. and the audiences are there they're well prepared they are seeking this stuff out because it's not just on tv in the background, they actually need to go out and look for these things and, and they have the engagement there. It, so. it sounds like they're probably going to, esports might skip broadcast TV altogether because with the bandwidth that Singapore gets, you get like really awesome internet. And it's, yeah, I think they'll, they'll even need to go there. It might not even be a conversation that will ever be had. It'll be really yeah, it, 
Sorry. Yeah. The only the only the only reason I think that uh it would need to go on broadcast is actually for the money and the sponsorship of the mm. games themselves. Because if you think about it right esports unlike normal sports normal sports had a very uh, natural from uh, amateur playing of all the sports to to the professional leagues esports didn't have that if you think about it it's only come up in the last what 5 to 10 years and it was artificially bolstered by lots of uh, brands and companies who you know who, who want you see this who see a future in this business model so one of the main things is that if they want to take it mainstream they have to uh, a lot of money needs to be pumped in to make it mainstream so make it kind of like the common uh, jargon like like what we see in like basketball and 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 football it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with this you know there's uh, shrinking margins in australia at least on uh, commercial uh, free to air television um, whether they're going to make that investment to bring the audiences along and have the content there so that you can you know train a new audience in a new type of of uh, you know viewing um it's very interesting i'm sure there's going to be much more to talk about this but let right now let's jump into our next topic <laughs> If you just joined us uh, this week, we are speaking to Ian Gregory. He's the creative director at Witching Hour Studios, a Singaporean-based developer behind Masquerada, Song and Shadows. It's, uh, well, maybe Ian, you can explain it to us. What We've had a few, a bit of a squiz at the game. What is it and how does it play? Right, so it's, uh, it's, uh, it's an RPG for today, but it draws a lot from things from the past. So uh, we love games like Neverwinter Nights and Baldur's Gate, and we wanted a much more uh, streamlined idea of how the game could be so it's a, it's a role playing game and you control a party and it's pause and it's a pause and play so you can pause at any point in time and pace it how you like to play uh, but the world itself i think that's kind of like what we're really pushing is uh, this world where masks are, uh, you know a great source of power there are artifacts that no one knows how to make anymore and it gives you the ability to control elemental magic and uh, it becomes this uh, this pivotal uh, uh, item in the world such that only the very rich can uh, can have them and we explore themes of uh, rich and poor and the politics of what happens when a city depends on this constantly diminishing resource because these masks if they are if they are on the face of a person who dies they turn to dust so it's constantly diminishing and it, it plays big it, it plays a very big part in uh, the the things that go on in the game now You're talking a little bit about sort of the attitudes towards games uh, in Singapore. How did this all come together and uh, how did you decide that you wanted to, to make a game there? Well, uh, I think, well, number one, I am Singaporean through and through, born and bred, very proudly so. And uh, I, I have always been particularly, uh, I've, been, I've always been very insulted when people assume that Singaporeans cannot be creative. So I always tell people that as as expensive it is, as it is to run a studio in Singapore. Uh, we do it near, nearly out of spite just to prove to people that we can. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and, and one, one thing that really ticked me off is that one, I think one of our earliest games, uh, I was showing it to somebody in the States and they're going like, oh, that's very interesting. So your production team's in Singapore. Where's your creative team? You know, he, he, oh, yeah, he, what? he no. was just, yes, it was, he was just incapable of uh, accepting the idea that a, Singapore, an Asian Singaporean team could do something creative. And I took great offense at that. And that kind of made me you know, put my foot down and go, you know what? I'm going to do something bigger, better, just to say that we can. I'm offended on your behalf. And that's what. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's exactly. So, rough. Yeah. so uh, I think that's kind of where it's. <laughs> so that's kind of where it stemmed from. 
Um, we started the studio when I was back in school, and uh, I'm a huge D and D. I love playing Dungeons and Dragons. And uh, you, do you guys play? I played. I played the old uh, game of Dungeons and Dragons. I'm more of a Pathfinder man myself. I'm a bit of a Pathfinder ah. guy. I'm a um, I'm a I'm a Hell Dwarf bard. Sorry, guy. Right. <laughs> All right. Settle down, Nick. <laughs> well, uh, one of the things about Dungeons and Dragons, and I think Pathfinder kind of kind of suffers this as well, is that once you go past level nine, the, the magic users become incredibly powerful and really quite fun to play. But the non-magic characters tend to be a little bit more dulled as they go along. Mm. And uh, I, I took offense at that as well. So I decided, that, you know what? What would it be like if uh, magic was taken away from an individual and placed on items that could be moved around? So this whole idea of uh, having uh, all the magic spells in Dungeons and Dragons as uh, you know put on masks that you could collect and change as you're fighting uh, was an idea that I put up to, to my party. And it was actually really fun because what would happen is that you have this incredible dance of uh, steel and spells. And I think that's kind of the basis of where Masquerada came from. Uh, layered on top of that, I have fond, uh, drunken memories of uh, sword fighting with wooden swords in Venice, and that kind of added to the aesthetic of what became of Masquerada. Wait, actually, in Venice, you were in actually Venice. fighting with swords in in Venice. Yeah, yeah. So I was backpacking around Venice, and I was actually hanging out with a bunch of Australians, and we got drunk all the time. And we that sounds about right. That yeah. sounds so about right. Yeah. Bought, yeah, so yeah, we yeah we bought a bunch of like wooden swords and we were fighting along the canals and like chasing each other around. Uh, one of the things that is pretty striking about the game is this sort of like uh, almost Renaissance era European influence. Um, but you say you're building a, a game with shifting power and all that sort of stuff. How do you, how have you built out the world and what are some of the key things that you want to f- sort of focus on when you're, you're building this world for for people to jump into pretty soon? Uh, I think the three main things we wanted to cover with the world is that what happens when power is distinct? Because right in the world today, you know, yeah, sure, you have money, you have power, but power is a very uh, uh, intangible idea. But what happens when you actually place it on a thing that you can exchange, sell, steal, and and exploit? So that's what the masks are about. Aside from that, we're also exploring this whole idea of mortality because uh, in this world, right, uh, where the masks are, because of this craziness or magic, uh, they're all actually, uh, I would say, agnostic to uh, uh, atheists. So they don't believe in, in, in any gods or in that sense, there is no afterlife. So in this world, right, uh, when you die, they believe that you are gone completely and forever. So the only way you are remembered is in a song. So when you pass away, right, uh, your a song is written for you. Your hopes, your dreams, your memories, everything about you is encompassed in this song so that the people that come after you can find out who you are. And that's quite bittersweet already. But on top of that, the only way you get a song sung for you is that if you have a mask. So only the very rich are remembered. It really sounds like there's basically an arms race that's kind of set yeah. up in this society and that you know and because of the trading nature of you know power moving around so stuff it sounds like a really sort of unstable uh sort of situation i mean when you're writing in your your characters are, are you writing a, a world that is like on the edge of a precipice or in peril at all times and are, are people stressed out or are there some people who just choose not to play the game and just go, go about their lives well, I mean, the plot of the story takes you uh, takes you to the city five years after an actual uprising where the common folk decided that they're tired of being pushed around. So that uprising was quelled, but there's your, your, what, your, what you see when you enter the city is the repercussions 
of a city trying to recover five years after a giant rebellion. And uh, that plays towards all your characters and how they react to things. And you can even see some of the city folk kind of just, um, you know, uh, accepting how things are. You know, one thing is that when you're, when, you're, when you're facing a very horrible situation, you tend to normalize around it and you kind of see this happen in the city. And uh, I would also say that uh, your character, Cicero, the player, the, the, the player character, he has a past and he actually played a big part in what happened five years ago and you're coming back after being exiled for your actions five years ago. So we kind of see how that plays out as well. How do you decide what to show of a character's past? Like, is, is most of that playable or is it through cutscenes? Uh, actually, so one of the things we, we think about is that how do we showcase our personality? It is mostly in how we react to what's happening today and how we reference what happened before. And that's how we do it. We play Cicero in situations where, you know, we, we dig at the raw bits of him and we see how he reacts. And I think that's how, you know, it's very, it's very natural and how we usually do it as people. And we, we have, we, we, we go through those observations of, uh, of his personality. So we don't outright. So it's not. It's not about plot. It's about character. One of the things that you've got, which is uh, quite quite a draw card, is you've got a, a quite a strong voice cast. You've got people like Jennifer Hale, and you've got uh, Felicia Day, and all these people on board with the project who are kind of helping out to build out these characters. H- how did you? Uh, how did you make that happen? That seems to be quite a quite a task to achieve. Well, I'll put it this way. I've always told people that uh, if I were a D&D character or a, a role-playing game character, like my luck stat is to the max. Uh, it was really <laughs> sheer luck. I, I tell you this much. Uh, so, okay, let's talk about Jennifer Hale, right? So, we randomly let's, let's met please do a that. voice. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah we, we randomly met a voice director at one of the, uh, the game developers' conferences. And, he was, and we were talking to him over Skype and deciding how do we cast this game? How do we figure out what we're going to do? And I, I, I was just musing and go like, it would be really good if we could get Fem Shep to come aboard to do a voice. And he goes like, oh, Jen, uh, Jen Hill? Yeah, she's my neighbor. No problem. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's awesome. That's the greatest story yeah, ever. So, yeah, so, so s- silliness like that. And um, another thing that we did very differently in the development of our game is that we wrote the, the, the script and the story before we made the game. So that means that when we went to approach all the voice actors, they actually had something to chew on. They knew what they were getting into. And, you know, it's something that they actually cared about to the point where I think the rates that they gave us were ridiculously low for, uh, you know, a project of this scale. And I think, like I said, that that's really due to, to luck and the way things are going, uh, the, things were, the, the, the way things were going back then. And uh, I would also say that because we wrote it first, right, uh, you know, they had a chance to fall in love with the characters and that added so much to it. So did the characters change at all after you figured out that such a high-profile talent was going to voice them, or did they stay largely the same? Uh, Largely the same, actually, because what happened was that because they had so much time to sit down and kind of get to know the characters, they decided that they really liked who the characters were and who they became in the game because we we believe very much in character development. Uh, Another unique thing that we did with regards to the voice cast is that we did something very different from the rest of the industry. We recorded it uh, ensemble. So uh, Michael Surix, the the voice director, decided that he wanted something very naturalistic where everything felt properly conversational versus a man in the booth. So we actually put everybody that had conversation together in the same booth and they acted off each other. And you can hear it in the acting. Wow, I, I know very little about the industry, but I know that's very difficult to do. 
Yeah, scheduling was a nightmare, but totally worth it. Look, you've talked about having a lot to prove, um, and that you want to, you know, sell Singapore as uh, as part of the the world, part of the creative industry, um, and dispel some of these uh, misinformation that's kind of sitting there. What's been the reaction um, from your, you know, friends and colleagues and family members and peers inside of Singapore? I got an email randomly from uh, a guy who was watching him that I was on. It goes like, "I heard your accent, and I knew you were Singaporean, and I just had to email you to say." You know, I'm so glad you're doing something. Nothing interesting comes out of Singapore. And, you know, things like that. You know, that little bit matters. And uh, when we did a Kickstarter, uh, 30% of the backers were Singaporean. And when I say that, that's a large amount. That means it's bigger than my, you know, all our own personal circle of you know, friends and family. So it was, it was heartening to know that whatever we were doing meant something to people outside of our circle. Uh, it was fun because I think on the last day of Kickstarter, uh, Okay, so we had supper, myself, Brian, my business partner, and we had supper with uh, our friend Inch Chua who sang for the game. We actually got a local artist to sing the theme song for our game. She wrote it as well. So we're very used to hanging out with her and people coming up and asking for an autograph and a photo, blah, blah, blah. But this time around, we were having, we were eating and this guy comes out and taps me on the shoulder and goes like, hey, are you from Witching Hour Studios? And is this kid from, uh, uh, from, junior, from a junior college? And I go like, uh, yeah, I thought he wanted to speak to Inch and it turns out that he's actually one of our backers. How random is that? Wow. You know, the chances of that happening. So it was, uh, it was an ama- it's, it's amazing how much local support we have. And, you know, it's, it goes to prove that all we need to do is just try something versus just complain that nothing's happening, which uh, as our good old Lee Kuan Yew used to say, we are champion complainers. <laughs> Um, what is the uh, environment like in, in Singapore? We did have you drop out a little bit there, but uh, are you kind of standing there on your own? Are there many other studios that are around? Is it an indie scene? How, how does it look? Uh, it's it's quite vibrant and there are many companies here in Singapore. Uh, I'm actually part of the, the International Game Developers Association board here and we run events where we all kind of chuck everybody in a room and share our experiences and uh, the knowledge and things like that. So, yeah, there is quite a... Uh, Quite a, quite a lot of movement in the NBC here. We've also got big companies. We've got uh, Ubisoft. I think uh, one of the other games are coming out with this really cool game that I think you guys should check out, which is a sound-based horror game. Sound-based horror game. Sounds so, terrifying, yeah, actually. Yeah, so I'm already in. They recently announced that the public, and it's a really fun thing. So, you know, I, I definitely want to plug them in, uh, and I will give you whatever you need to make that happen so you guys can see it that when the time comes as well. That sounds very exciting. But look, you've got your game coming out very soon. Um, it's going to be out well, in a, couple, a matter of days um, for people to be able to play it. Um, yeah, yep, pretty much. If people want to check it out and, and get on board, where's the best place for them to, to go to before it comes out? Right. So uh, I think that, I mean, we're, on Facebook, we announced quite a lot, quite a lot of stuff as well uh, on, uh, on Twitter and at Masquerada Game. Uh, if you're keen and you can't wait and you really can't wait, it's available on Steam right now. And uh, the Steam the Steam version is going to get updated to have all the same content as the PS4 one also. So uh, if not, check out um, check out the, the our website uh, witching-hour.net so you can find out all the silly things that we tend to do. 
Sounds really good. Look, uh, we've kind of hit the end of the show, so uh, it's been really fascinating chatting to you, Ian. We're very excited to check out your game uh, when it comes out on the 8th of August. Is that right? Um, 8th of August. Yep. So very soon on PlayStation, on Steam as well. Uh, This has been uh, Pixel Sift. We do this every fortnight. We get uh, developers from, I guess we can say, Australasia now, the Southeast Asian area. Can we just start saying all over the world? All over the world. Thank you. We'll, We'll We'll, stri- we'll stress This is it the out. internet, Johnny. We're on the internet. We go anywhere. We'll get, um, I don't know, Sweden. Ken Levine on. Why not? Get him on next week. Um, I wonder it- if anyone we know lives next to him. Oh, do you know him? Do you? Uh- uh, I, 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 I do actually know him. I can what? get you his email, actually. Oh, look. Set us up for everything. Ian, it's been a pleasure. Look, um, if you want to find out more stuff about the, uh, the, the game, we have a website. That website is pixelsift.com.au. But maybe we should go register... Uh, .com.sg as well while we're at it. Um, and that is where you can find all the links to the things that we talk about on the show. Mitch, where else uh, can people find that information? Yeah, you can go to our website to stream episodes or you can subscribe to the podcast on either iTunes, Pocket Cast, or using the RSS link on our page. We're also on the Google Play Store. Uh, we're also on pretty much every podcast player you can think of. Very soon to be on a big platform, streaming platform. We'll have some more information about that when that comes online soon. I was seriously about to say it and then i didn't because we're sure not locked in yet we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll wait and anyway, uh, don't worry about it um keep it to yourselves trust me we'll be bragging all about it when we when it is there when it happens yeah. uh nick we have um some yes. older episodes do we not we do and you can find them on oh whoops what have i done <laughs> just shut down my script apologies uh iTunes, iTunes, Pocket Cast, what's Pocket Apple Podcast now? Uh, you can find it on our website. You can go on to YouTube or Twitch or any of those other places. Yep. Um, I want to say a big thank you to uh, the Murdoch University School of Arts who support Pixel Sift, uh, where you can learn how to make games or radio or podcast or whatever you want. Um, just search for Murdoch University in Perth, Western Australia. Thanks, Ian, for joining us. We're very excited you, to check out your game, and uh, we'll see you guys all in two weeks' time. In two weeks' time. It's not Pixel Sift. It's Pixel Sift. Pixel Sift. Sir.